Live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal. www.jewishjournal.com Jews have been longing for Jerusalem for 2,000 years. But in the 19th century, only a few were courageous enough, some might say crazy enough, to take everything and leave their homes to go to the Holy Land. And that's exactly what several poor Yemenite families did. They walked by foot from Sana to Jerusalem, only to find out that the Holy City is actually a dump. Gilchovav's ancestors were one of these families, and when a few generations later, Yemenite Jew Moshe Chovav married the granddaughter of Eliezer ben Yehuda, reviver of the Hebrew language, Gilchovav was the result. Gil grew up amidst a clash of cultures, which took place in a city torn apart by war and religion. His fascinating childhood is the subject of his autobiographical book, Candies from Heaven, which was just now released in English. Gil is one of Israel's greatest experts in food and food culture. Gil has been a regular guest in every Israeli household for over 20 years. He's a pioneer of the televised cooking shows here in Israel. He's a food journalist and an author of many cooking books and some novels as well. Gil joins us for the second time to talk about his amazing childhood in Jerusalem. This podcast is made in cooperation with Secret Tel Aviv, Israel's largest online social network community in English. Just look for the group on Facebook or visit them at secrettelaviv.com. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. Hi, Gil. Thank you so much for coming. I'm honored. Thank you. The previous time, guys, if you want to check it out, it's episode 43. Whoa, and this so, one is? This one would 60. be 62. Oh my God. Right. So uh, that back then we talked about food. So now an excerpt from the new book. Now we'll read an excerpt. Because do you understand, Gili? Uncle Ami continued, concluding his story with a Zionist moral. moral. What does it mean to be an officer in the IDF? What it means to be a sheriff, security, responsibility, a private piper, girls, honor, of course. But first of all, it means to be a human being. First of all, it's to make sure your sister won't be sad. So who's that about? Who's his sister? So that's Uncle Ami and Aunt Hadassah. The story goes, this is the story that gave the book its name, Candies from Heaven. Uh, in the 50s, it was the age of austerity in Israel, so people were really poor, and Aunt Hadassah, as a true Zionist, was living with her husband and her, their daughter, Daphna, who later became a very famous singer in Israel, in Kibbutz Revivim, in the deep south of Israel. Of course, they did not have any candy, and the children of Kibbutz Revivim uh, were eating dung beetles. This shocked no. me. Yeah, I never tried it. I never tried it. Uh, apparently, there is something sweet about dung beetles because the kids were really keen on them. Actually, when the book came out, people from Revivim um, were very furious about it. They said it never happened. It never happened. We do not eat beetles. But Daphna, <laughs> my cousin, my, the famous singer, wrote them and said, listen, I lived there. I grew up there. We were eating beetles, I, I remember. Yeah, beetles. I ate them. I still do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Which Daphna? Daphna Almoni. Daphna Almoni, of course. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, my aunt Hadassah uh, was very frustrated that her 
eldest daughter is eating dung beetles and the children of Kibbutz Levivim. She was in charge of them. She was the teacher of the Kibbutz. And my uncle Ami was the sheriff of Eilat. Eilat is the most southern spot in Israel. And when it was uh, conquered in the war of 1948, in the independence war, it was still called Um Rashrash. He was posted as the, 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 the officer of the region. And uh, he had a piper. He had an airplane. And he heard that his sister in the middle of the desert is frustrated because the children of Revivim do not have candy and they eat dung beetles. He took the piper, he flew over to Revivim, he flew low just on top of Revivim, and being an officer, he had a lot of candy. <laughs> he threw the candies to his sister from the skies, the, 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 the package of the candies opened in midair, and a, a rain of candies fell on kibbutz revivim in the middle of the austerity period this is an israeli miracle but but i wonder gil because you give a lot of weight to that story you yep. named the book after it and you start a book with it why did you choose this story what does it represent to you because for me it shows the whole book you know it, I wrote three collections of short stories in a period of 20 years. This I write a lot. One? This is the second one. The this second is the middle one. one. I write a lot and I love telling stories. But when you write, it's not in order to tell a specific story. You want to pass an idea. And for me, the, the, the theme behind this collection of stories is the mutual responsibility that there is in a family. I grew up in a family. Some of us were... well to do I grew up in a not a rich home but we we had plenty some of my relatives were poor some of my relatives were successful some were not but we were all together we all counted for one another it was clear that if anyone is in trouble we're all there to help him or her and it was clear to me as it is clear to me up until today that if something will happen, My relatives will come with airplanes and throw candies from heaven at me right and it makes me you know it's it's my I think it's one of the greatest assets that I have because I'm really an optimistic person and you know we all had misfortunes in our lives I'm 55 years old you know I've been through bad times good times etc but it was always clear to me that the the end is going to be good if worst come to worst then... yeah but candies it, are coming yeah. But it's funny because your grandmother, the way you describe her in the book, Muma, mm-hmm. she's a very, you say, you know, you came out as an optimistic uh, kid. She's like a very stern character. Yeah. She's not from the Yemenite side. She's from the Sephardi the, side. The Sephardi Jerusalem rooted side. Yeah. And uh, strangely enough, only recently, like I think two years ago, I was talking about. Uh, with a few of uh, my cousins and with my brother. So we were five. We were, it was myself and my eldest brother and three cousins. We all grew up in the same house under the supervision of Muma, of that grandmother that, that you asked about. It turned out, for me, she was the empress of the world. And as if you read the book, you see that I admire her. Not only for you, for the entire city, it seems. Uh, yes, sort of, yes. And, and... When I talked to them, they said, "Well, she was a terrible, terrible, terrible woman." <laughs> And I really I, 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 I couldn't 
imagine that anyone would think such things about her because she was so magnificent. But she was a very stern educator. And personally, I, I appreciate uh, this set of values. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And if you go out to the street with your shirt not tucked into your pants, you put shame on the family. And if you get less than 95 in a test... We will all be crying, etc., etc., etc. It's very unmodern. So everyone, right as I am. <laughs> so everyone else from your cousins and brother, they experienced her with menace, uh, as, not in opposed with, to you. Not with menace, but as a dictator. Now we should remember that I was the smallest one, the weakest one, and the least. Um, like, they didn't expect much from me. I was, you know, a nerdy Jerusalemite kid. So she always leaned to me. She always protected me. I think she liked me better. Uh, so maybe this this put some, some, some sugar in her vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, There's but- the great story in the beginning of the book where she comes to your rescue with a whole bunch of other grandmothers. Yep. Yes. And because you being the weak kid that you describe yourself as in the in the book are always the last one to be picked on if you if you'll let me I'll tell the story. Please do. <laughs> because means, I really I love hearing it. my stories from other people. You you were the last one picked always on the soccer teams. And then they would give they would make you basically the referee. That's the that was their, you know, uh it's the utmost humiliation. Yeah. But you still found joy in it somehow and you would blow the whistle all the during the game and then you annoyed the hell out of them with a whistle that they took the whistle away from you. And then you have this great scene in the book where your grandmother comes with this like army of old ladies to your rescue. Yeah, a posse of old ladies. Starts starts like basically making hell on the on the field and, and gets throwing you your, rice. Yeah, yes, yeah. And and the best part is that she doesn't even get you picked on a team. She gets you the whistle back. She wants me to be a referee like they have referees in respectable leagues in Europe, in old Europe. Yeah. So this is how La Familia began, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my grandma doesn't hear us right now. <laughs> um, that's an amazing story. When I read it, I was like, okay, in the film adaptation, this will be the scene that everyone will remember. Like, <laughs> like the equivalent is Dead Poet Society when they stand on the, on, the, on the tables. It was so vivid for me because Very. my sister lives right there. Really? You're kidding. She lives right there. So I saw, I, we always walk the dog in that field behind the, her yeah, house. Yeah. So yeah. I could just see it happening. Yeah. And it was, you know, when I was growing story. up, this, what you refer to as a field, this was a forest for us. You know, it was huge. It was mysterious. It was with, with one soccer field and one basketball field. Now, sometimes when I have time and I go to Jerusalem, you know, if I have to be interviewed in Jerusalem and I have two hours to kill, I go to my childhood street. It's so small and naive and, you know, fakakte. But at the time, it was, I felt like I was like Hansel and Gretel walking in a forest. And I'm, I was sure that there are witches and ghosts and everything. Yep. And because, you know, reading this story, it's a, it's a book about ch- childhood, basically, your childhood. And reading it, I felt like Jesus my childhood was boring as hell. <laughs> and I'm wondering, wh- what made your childhood so particularly unique? Two things. Uh, one is a set of disturbed relatives. 
And each of them is disturbed in his or her own way. Very eccentric and, uh, and, and very, very, very dramatic people. Mostly the women are very dramatic. And they always felt that they deserved a much grander life than what they had. And they decided that they would live it in Jerusalem of the 60s. Although it was a small city, a poor city, although they're... Never mind, this is going to be Hollywood, if not Bollywood. So this is one. The second is just a good memory. I, I remember the, the smell of the clothes that we were wearing. I mean, right. I remember everything. And uh, I, I would assume the details that just get lost in time, for me, they're still vivid. So they're there. I, one of the, my favorite part of the book, even though, I mean, I'm, I, I like to cook, but I'm not uh, going to venture really? to Really? You say never it. cook anything for me. For you. <laughs> For you. He now, promised- don't start. Don't start. <laughs> he promised me pancakes. I cook for those who deserve it. Okay? Oh, yes. <laughs> no, He's been promising me pancakes for decades. And I got I to keep him on the leash somehow. So, <laughs> right. so I, I, I like to cook. I'm not going to venture to say I'm a chef, but I like to cook. But it wasn't even the recipes that, like, that I loved, which are great, by because the way. Because there are recipes they in are, the book. There are recipes in the book scattered throughout, and they're great recipes. And especially the, the, the first one, which you start with, which is like uh, sweet and sour rice and chicken. Uh, Soup. Uh, yeah. No, with no. rice. Ah, right. What the your chicken. mother, what your grandmother would cook. Um, it's like a, it's like a sweet, and I'll have to look it out at it, but it sounds almost, it's not very, it sounds almost Chinese, like Chinese food. And it's, oh. uh, but it's great recipes. But what I loved about the book is how you tie them into the stories. Meaning this, you tell the story about how your mother made you, uh, your grandmother made you this meal. And then you, you give the recipe. And one of my favorite ones was where you were telling the story about um, uh, Hotel. Hotel and, uh, how, and the egg and how he was <laughs> and how they checked him after he died and they found out that he only had one testicle which shows that he's infertile in this and then uh, someone uh, tells you oh you're probably going to tie this into one of your uh, use dreadful this in a, yeah, stories <laughs> dreadful one stories of your dreadful books and and use the in Hebrew the word for egg means testicle and then boom you give us a recipe for boiled testicles <laughs> and, 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 and i honest to god this story happened i mean i remember me standing at aunt hava's kitchen in in tiberias and she just looking and she you know she always she was the she still is the kindest aunt and she always loved me and she is the only one who called me darling in my life i was really a, a child that everybody you know people were kind to me but i wasn't handsome and I wasn't tall and I wasn't I, I wasn't and she was always so kind to me but then she she really wanted to respect the the, the, the honor of the family and she said I know that you're going to take this story and turn it into something <laughs> disgusting in one of those filthy book of yours and I, I said Hava really what do you think of me and immediately I knew there's, there's a chat she knows you're yes, perfect, yes, yes, perfect. Yes, yes. but I want to go back to your grandmother for a little bit because she is undoubtedly the most important character in the book and I, in my I life. feel and in your life <laughs> yes. um and what's what's her deal uh, you should understand that i grew up thinking that uh, we were relatives of anna karenina 
So this was the magnitude of the figures that I had in my house. Because my grandma used to say, whenever we would annoy her, she would say, in the end, I'll just go and throw myself on the railway, just like poor Anna Karenina. And I was sure that she was an aunt or a, a sister of my grandmother's. She was greater than Anna Karenina. Now, my grandmother, Le'ah Benavi, Le'ah Abushdid, was the youngest daughter of one of the richest families in pre-Palestine Israel, in old, old, old Israel under the Turks. And um, she was the toast of the town. I mean, everybody courted her. She was from the richest family. She was the most beautiful girl in Jerusalem. The Turks called her the flower of flowers. And everybody wanted to marry her. And then she married my grandfather, Itamar Ben-Avi, the son of Eliezer ben Yuda. So first of all, she married an Ashkenazi, which you really don't do such things in good families in Jerusalem. It's just Also unheard today, of. don't do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is something we try to avoid. And secondly, it was dirt poor. They had nothing. And with no yichas, of course. So, and she decided to give up her dowry because they didn't want anyone to say that he married her for her money. So she and him decided that she would get out of the, the, the very famous arch house that stands up until today in the heart of Jerusalem, a very big like villa of millionaires that no longer belongs to us, of course. She just got out with her clothes on and that's it. To a life of poverty and love. So this... Uh, clash between, you know, what you get and what you lose, etc., really created an amazing figure. And she never lost faith. She always knew what's right and wrong. God was terrified of her. She used to scold him and to shout at him and to cheat him. In how many and languages? To, um, usually it goes like this. It's French for culture, uh, Ladino for the soul, English, so that people under would understand, and Hebrew because we're Ben Yehudas. And but Arabic. she spoke and Arabic, of course. She spoke six languages, um, so so she really, really, really was magnificent. Um, and as 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 I wrote in the beginning of the book, which is dedicated to both my grandmother, my grandmothers, also my grandmother from my Yemenite side, who comes from a totally different background who comes from a very poor family but again a very strong woman who you know carried the family on her back and was invested in charity as well when she didn't have enough food for her children she was volunteering to help you know new immigrants etc etc both my grandmothers lost children at childbirth etc these were harsh times, and we are so lucky to be here in our own independent Israel, in the, you know... Living in, relatively luxurious lives. Living like millionaires. I'm counting my blessings every day, and it's not that shit doesn't happen. It does, but, 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 but still, you know, I, I compare myself to both my grandmothers. They, they were just like Attila and uh, Genghis Khan. Right. You know, in Hebrew, there's a saying, Eretz Yisrael niknet beisurim, which I guess roughly translates to uh, the land of Israel is bought through uh, anguish, pain and anguish. And I guess, I mean, we see that in, you know, the previous generations, in, uh, in your grandmother's generation, for example, how they really had to fight hard in order to build this country, which now we live in in relative comfort. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you think that that may, I mean... I, 
as the generations progress, if we're getting farther away from that and we're going to lose sight of it, we take and then it maybe, for obvious. Yeah, take it for granted and lose the appreciation. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Um, I'm, I must say that uh, yeah, I'm very happy that we're comfortable and I'm very happy that, you know, we all can travel and have cars and this and that, etc. But uh, sometimes I think that we... We lose the, the, the way to assess what, what we have and what we don't have. And um, we lose sight of it. We also yeah. forget that our existence here is quite fragile. Our existence is, is, here is fragile. We sacrificed so much. You know, I have so many stories of the siege of Jerusalem, of, of how to use two cups of water a day, which is all the... The, the the quota that you get for Which a day you experience no no no, no I, this these are the stories that I heard to make me eat right <laughs> um, and and the, uh, stories about the the, uh, the loss of children which are in the book and stories about wars and stories about walking poverty in the desert for and me. walking in the desert and uh, it's it's the things they have been through and I can't say that they did not complain because they did <laughs> <laughs> but, but in a funny way and in in a in a in a rational way I mean they were complaining in order to make God understand that he owes us right but 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 um, in the end, they were celebrating Israel every day. I mean, it's not my, my expression, but it, I once read it in a book, and it's, and it's such a lovely expression. Uh, a friend of mine wrote a memoir about her mother, who was a Holocaust survivor, and she said, every omelet that she put on our table was a victory. And it's true, and mm. it's true, and this is how we grew up. And what is the, the, most, the greatest lesson you learned from your grandmother? Um, there are many. I think that one of them uh, appears at the end of the book. She didn't really try to teach me a lesson, but it's what I learned from how she died. And, uh, and what I learned from something that my father, who was not her son, yeah, it was a, her son-in-law, told me before he died, which is that... You always go back to the house you grew up in. And when, you know, my grandmother was razor sharp all her life. And she died very old. She died 90-something. And just two weeks before she died, she started fading away. And then she asked me to take her home. And I told her, but, but, but grandma, but Muma, you're home. This is your home. Look at your bed. Look at your clothes. Look. And she said, that's not my home. Where's my brother? Where's my mother? Where's my sister who loved me so much? And my father, um, who died of a heart attack and had the, 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 the grace to go like, poof, like, like that. Like he had two days of being a bit uh, like in a fog and then he passed away. Um, but before he died, he told me that every night he dreams of his house, of the house he grew up in in Jerusalem, in old poor Jerusalem in Shkunat Abukharim, which is a very, very, very poor neighborhood. Uh, they grew up in a one-room apartment, a family of two parents and seven children. Ch children. And he told me, you know, I remember my, my father coming back from the market with only just one cluster of, of grapes, 
because he didn't have enough money to buy two and we would jump and pick one grape after the other seven children and he would be laughing he would be laughing of love and what he taught me is that we really do go backwards we do not go to the future we keep going in our heart we're going to where we first met love we're going to to where we first experienced warmth and it's something very optimistic that's the fountain that always yeah. springs yeah. it's not the fountain of youth it's the fountain of love and 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 again it connects with 20 with the uh, with the uh, candies from heaven because it's the same it's 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 knowing that people love you that you have someone to trust and uh, that you can depend upon people you don't have to be too strong which leads me perfectly to the next question because as as i read this book i think to myself this uh, childhood that you depict in the book it doesn't exist any, anymore and it never will and there is nothing almost it has nothing to do with the childhood of a modern israeli kid maybe those kids have no such fountain to draw from at all i would um rather to disagree <laughs> <laughs> i i do think okay. the childhood my childhood is different than the childhood of my daughter for sure and uh, how old I, is your daughter 14 so okay. i depict a childhood with you know where television is a new trick that everybody is excited about or the where, kettle or an electric kettle is something unheard of and uh, people are talking about sputniks flying to the moon and 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 <laughs> my father you know flying to india to cover a story he was a journalist is something that you know everybody was excited about and today you know we go to india for a weekend and that's it but love hasn't changed of course and uh, i'm i'm i do hope that my daughter gets from me the love that i got from my parents and my grandparents um i'm not as great a person as my grandmother was as both my grandmothers were but uh, the unconditional love is there and it's not our trick I'm sure that kids all over the world if they're lucky they get it and this still exists but the other aspects of childhood are very different though. very different and Jerusalem is very different this is true Jerusalem of today is a totally different city than what it used to be what when it I grew used up to be it. when you grew up in it It was not as religious. It was not as tense. Now, talking about tension, there are many kinds of tension, of course. When I was growing up in Jerusalem, it was before the Six-Day War. There was a tank parked underneath our house. We lived on the border. So, of course, there was tension. But tension between Jewish communities was different. Um, it, was, it was more naive and more... stylish in a way stylish yes yes it was it was people people had shame today people have no shame and <laughs> and then you know it was clear that 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 if you don't I don't know if you don't manicure your front garden it the neighbors would be talking about you today you just park your four by four on your park on your lawn and you say or your neighbor's lawn. on your or your neighbor's <laughs> lawn exactly You describe a funny relationship between your parents and the book. 
um, where your mother even at one point says, you know, where she's telling telling how she met your father and she's, you know, asking herself why she even married him in the first place. And But it's obviously in a joking, loving way. So can you tell us about how that relationship was growing up? I think my parents were deeply in love with one another. They were both extremely outstandingly beautiful and handsome. My mother... Once a lady told me, I met a lady on the street and she recognized me being the son of Drora Benavi and she was so, so disappointed looking at my face. Where did it all go? <laughs> and she told me, you know, I was a beauty, but when I would walk with your mother to high school, people would be looking at her and falling off balconies one after the other. My mother was really smashing and my father was very handsome. And uh, they had a very weird with, uh, relationship because she was eight years older than he was. And he was her, we don't know exactly, but at least third husband, if not fifth or sixth, because she used to hide from us how many husbands she had. So the relationship was very, again, dramatic. But um, first of all, he made her laugh which is, as my mother told me, that's the most important thing about a man. He should make you laugh. And he made her laugh. My father was extremely funny. People usually remember him in Israel. You know, it was the news announcer in Israel. So people think it's the voice of God and it's the voice of wars, etc. He was the funniest man. It was, it was so funny. And my mother was very funny and had a very dirty sense of humor. So the combination and the rivalry between them was always something that, you know, as a, as a kid, I remember it was like watching a movie. I mean, their relationship, they were always, you know, kidding one another, cheating one another, poking one another. It was always fun. Also, it's a, it's a melting pot. Uh, of, in, in a household, basically. It's a melting pot, both of uh, origins. My father was Yemenite, my mother was half Sephardi and half Ashkenazi, and also of backgrounds, because my father really came from the poorest of the poor. Now, a very good family, a very educated family, but, but with nothing, nothing, nothing. And my mother is... They, I do not believe in it, but they consider themselves royalty or aristocracy or, you know, well, they were sure that they were the chosen few. Right. So the combination was, was really... That's really interesting. Maybe it's time for another excerpt. Let's do it. Ex okay. Excerpt. 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 Yes. So, we delight from the bus, sweaty and frightened, and run to her with our ridiculous umbrellas and the old suitcase. Chava would embrace us tightly and say, Bonnie, what a beautiful boy you are. How you've grown. Soon you'll be taller than me. And Gili? And she'd search for words to compliment me. But how would you compliment a bespeckled midget who burps with excitement and refuses to let go of his big brother's hand? Chava would kiss me again and again, to gain time and come up with something. Gilly, she'd say, my Gilly, my darling. <laughs> That's the maximum I could get as a child. My uh, <laughs> darling. Which, which leads me to ask, because the book is, is so sweet. <laughs> But hilarious. And, and hilarious. And, you know, very pink glasses. But if you look deep inside... My mother is a, is a kindergarten teacher. So if you look deep in, in education, or if you look deep inside underneath the layers, there are 
some sad things about this childhood of yours, and I refer particularly to abuse, what I look as abuse that you experience. Um, you're being uh, when when grown-ups um, tell you things that are either nasty or you know like we read and even worse and even other characters like your mother like your mother how it you you tell how she uh, was married for seven years and had an affair you know we, you laugh about it but when you think about it it's not easy to deal with easy to deal with mm-hmm. so is this a right assumption do, do you feel I, this I didn't experience it like this I must say that there were difficult things about my childhood not not from my mother's side uh, I grew up knowing that there is nobody as dear as myself uh, both to my mother and my father and my grandmother of course this is something that I'm certain of and until today and my partner Danny and people around me I always tell me what is it with your self entitlement I mean <laughs> you know the world exists too and I say no 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 you're just a background for me yes. <laughs> so so I grew up like they 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 were nurturing a little Stalin so I this was not the, the abuse that I got but I it's true that I always felt be true or not but I always felt that I was the shortest and not the most brilliant and not of course not the most handsome my brother was a god he still is and this is why we hate him so much but if my brother was I was always in the shade of my brother he was the sportsman he was the, 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 all the girls were in love with him he was so handsome etc and tall and And um, so I always felt that I yes that there's something lacking there but I think that it's good there I think are no that... scars they peed on you they made you eat fish shit but all children you know... experience it ultra I think that usually young... <laughs> were you a younger brother no see <laughs> I think all younger brothers experience uh, a little abuse from their elder brothers and and my brother was a saint and Um, I was a younger brother but to two older sisters ah so, so your there sister was were not peeing there was a you. day no they didn't <laughs> they didn't pee on me they did hit me and like they would they would beat me up until the day I realized that I had testosterone <laughs> and then, and when then you turned 35 right like yes. not, no right around like 10 or 11 my sister was hitting me and I remember looking at her and thinking I don't need to take this yeah <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. today she's toothless uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> so you don't you didn't experience it in I, that way not this and I must say that that the, the 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 fact that my mother was marrying men all the time and divorcing them never affected me I mean I, I always saw it as something hilarious and and knew that we should pretend that we don't know of it because she hid it from us although my father told us about it but uh, she didn't so it I I, I I learned that with women you should know when to tell the truth when not to tell the truth what is a white lie what is a gray lie what is a pink lie what is a black lie I know all of this 50 shades of lies exactly <laughs> <laughs> interesting amazing amazing so what uh, what what basic I mean you have previous books that you wrote yep um, and what drove you to write this specific well what, what at what point were you like okay I need to write about my childhood and So actually it's a trilogy. It's called the Jerusalem Trilogy. It's three collections of short stories, 
there are two more just like like candies from heaven mm -hmm. one is called family cooking and the other one one is called 24 doors not in english though not in english in hebrew and uh, the first one was written 20 years ago second one which is this one 10 years ago and the last one a year ago usually i write when people offend me or after a failure then i feel that i have to like retreat to a safe place, to my cave, and do something that, not necessarily that I'm good at, but that I feel comfortable with, which is writing, and which is connecting with my dead relatives. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so in three periods of my life, when I felt a bit off, mm -hmm. I wrote these collections of short stories. Then came the question, which one I want to translate into English, and who would do it, and I... I was looking and looking and looking and looking. It took me a few years until I find Ira Moskowitz, whom I admire, and uh, he she did She did it. amazing work. It's him. him. Yes. He did it, amazing I, I, work. I really do think so. And I tried several times with, with... Several. Quite a few times with a few other translators who did a very good job, but it just didn't feel right and it's it, it's difficult because my family is all about linguistics you know ben Yehuda, blah yes. blah blah and language and i always said it's almost impossible to translate because it's all about layers of hebrew the the humor is in the different layers of hebrew but i always remind myself that if they translated bialik and shai agnon they can translate Gil as, as an English reader who I mean I've read Hebrew books before but not many yeah. and I read this book in, in English mm -hmm. I can tell you it, it, it translates well it's good. hilarious here here I stories you yeah, know yeah when the story work, is there exactly. when it has the, the, the motivation then you, you get carried away with it exactly but still you know the, the, for instance the characters should sound different you don't want everybody to speak in the same tone and I think that Ira got it somehow. I wonder if there's a, I thought about this while reading, that the structure of the book, like you said, it is a collection of short stories. It's not a novel. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, uh, it doesn't have this overarching, I mean, you can maybe find an arc, but it's not, There are, you don't take the characters from through kind of a... Um, journey. A journey. Yeah. It's it's these bits. It's these candies from heaven. It's mm -hmm. this like little little candies that you give. And I wonder if that's the way you recall your 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 past if you don't see it as this one string of like, how yeah. would you say it in a uh, stream of consciousness um it's a good question i never thought about it what i know is that i have a, a gift an amazing memory i remember everything 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 don't ever open an account with me because <laughs> I remember it in 50 years from now. <laughs> but um, do I remember it as one story or as many stories? I really don't know. I can tell you that what surprised me is that th there is a genre to this book. It's called a food war. I never knew that it existed. Really? I, I don't I, know this. I just wrote my stories and I said it would be nice to, to tell by the end of each story what we ate when it happened because food is important and life is around the kitchen table, not about mm -hmm. the dining room table, which is, you know, too official, but the kitchen table, the yellow formica kitchen table. And this is where my childhood happened. And I would tell stories and then I would tell what was on the table when it happened. And years later, I think that 12 years after I started writing the Jerusalem Trilogy, so two books were already in print, 
One day I walk in London and it was the, the last day of my visit to London and I said, today I'll buy shoes. And I had, I don't know, 30 pounds or something like that, which was the budget for the shoes. And I said, just before I go into the shoe store, I'll, I'll go to the bookstore. And then I saw a book by Ruth Rachel, uh, a very prominent food writer and editor in the U.S., and she stole my genre. It was <laughs> short stories from her childhood with recipes. Only then did I learn that there is this genre that, which is called food war. It's a memoir based wow. on food, which is very popular in the world. Very uh -huh. popular. And uh, I just did it without It's a category knowing. on Kindle? Like, <laughs> exactly. Food war. And, and <laughs> what is your favorite recipe from this book? Mm. I think it's the buecas. Because um, for, I, I really do love the story, too, because it's a story in which my grandmother really bits the mm out of God. I mean, she shouts at him and she tells him and she threaten, threatens him. But she always she also has this turning point in the story, which is very like her where she's very, very stern, very, very stern until I cry. And immediately when I cry. She's with me against the whole, all of the world. I mean, it, it, was, it was very clear to me that she could be the meanest educator, but always on my side. So, and what, what, what drives the story is the making of buwekas, which is really um, a, a very majestic recipe. And uh, I, I, I love making it up until today. It's amazing, though, that you answer with the story yeah. and not the food. <laughs> I always answer with stories. It's quite annoying, awesome. but uh, yes. Food is, <laughs> no, no, food is all about stories. Yeah. For me, it's a story. For, mo the, for me, food is a story. It's yeah. amazing that your favorite recipe is a story. was the story. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's beautiful. So the book is called Candies from Heaven. Yep. And there's hard copy. Mm -hmm. You can find it. We'll put links. It's on Am Amazon. Can it's you... on Amazon and it's also on Kindle so, yeah, on Amazon. So all, also, there's a digital copy on Amazon and Kindle. And we will put links and you have to read it if you love Jerusalem, food, Jewish food, good stories. Also, and yeah, if you love me. And if, <laughs> especially if you love No, but yeah, love. just if you guys love... I mean, it's great stories. It's, you know, forget if you want... If you, if you are interested in recipes or everything, you can read around the recipes. It's great, great short stories. And for me, it's a crack hole to a world that does not exist anymore. For me too, I must so, say. Yes, I, I feel that, that it's, it's long gone. And if you want to understand Israel, I think it's important to understand that period and I think it's a good means to do so, reading this book. Mm -hmm. So um, now we're going we're gonna to finish up. We have two uh, sponsorships that... No, uh, two collaborations. Two, sorry, spot, not sponsorship. Two collaborations that we want to tell you about. One is a collaboration with a Jewish journal in Ooh. Los Angeles, um, which is a great source of news, uh, Jewish news specifically, uh, in uh, Los Angeles. And the other is uh, Secret Tel Aviv. You heard of it? Yes, of course. Secret Tel Aviv is a 160 members Facebook group. 160,000. 160,000, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> a bit bigger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I undershot group. it a little bit. But a uh, Facebook group with great uh, recommendations for restaurants, for events, for everything. And it's just, you know, fun to follow. In English. In English. In English. And that's so it. Check them out. Don't tell Eliezer Ben Yudah. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> 
Gil, thank you. Good luck with the book. Thank you very much. And I really, really, really hope to be the first guest that would appear three times on your podcast. Definitely, when the new book gets translated. Yeah, with the, with the third one, yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.